Today is July 23rd, and this is the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast. My name is Blake, and we're going to go ahead and jump in with our Old Testament reading, 2 Chronicles chapter 8, verse 11 through chapter 10, verse 19. And as always, we're reading out of the New Living Translation. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 8, verse 11. Solomon moved his wife, Pharaoh's daughter, from the city of David to the new palace he had built for her. He said, My wife must not live in King David's palace, for the ark of the Lord has been there, and it is holy ground. Then Solomon presented burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar he had built for him in front of the entry room of the temple. He offered the sacrifices for the Sabbaths, the new moon festivals, and the three annual festivals, the Passover celebration, the festival of harvest, and the festival of shelters, as Moses had commanded. In assigning the priests to their duties, Solomon followed the regulations of his father David. He also assigned the Levites to lead the people in praise and to assist the priests in their daily duties. And he assigned the gatekeepers to their gates by their divisions, following the commands of David, the man of God. Solomon did not deviate in any way from David's commands concerning the priests and the Levites and the treasuries. So Solomon made sure that all the work related to the building of the temple of the Lord was carried out from the day its foundations was laid to the day of its completion. Later Solomon went to Ezion-Geber and Elath, ports along the shore of the Red Sea, in the land of Edom. Hiram sent him ships commanded by his own officers and manned by experienced crew of sailors. These ships sailed to Ophir with Solomon's men and brought back to Solomon almost 17 tons of gold. That's a lot of gold if you are bad at math like me. That is an enormous amount of money. Uh, And that's all you really need to know. Solomon um, is this uh, amazing case where there's so much good uh, and then we see verses like this where it seems like he's really uh, taken by money and, and women. And you'll notice he's married to who? He's married to Pharaoh's daughter. Well, if you remember back when we were reading in Exodus, um, the Israelites and the Egyptians, not necessarily uh, the same kingdom. And uh, so we see we see here Solomon. He does great things. He asks for the wisdom of God. And then there's these other kind of hints that he's not going to be the chosen one. He marries Pharaoh's daughter. He is really concerned with gold. Yeah, so watch that as it develops here. Moving on to chapter 9, verse 1. When the queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame, she came to Jerusalem to test him with hard questions. She arrived with a large group of attendants and a great caravan of camels loaded with spices, large quantities of gold, and precious jewels. When she met with Solomon, she talked with him about everything she had on her mind. Solomon had answers for all her questions. Nothing was too hard for him to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba realized how wise Solomon was, and when she saw the palace he had built, she was overwhelmed. She was also amazed at the food on his tables, the organization of his officials, and their splendid clothing, the cupbearers and their robes, and the burnt offerings Solomon made at the temple of the Lord. She exclaimed to the king, Everything I heard in my country about your achievements and wisdom is true. I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I had not heard the half of your great wisdom. It is far beyond what I was told. How happy your people must be. What a privilege for your officials to stand here day after day listening to your wisdom. Praise the Lord your God who delights in you and has placed you on the throne as king to rule for him. Because God loves Israel and desires his kingdom to last forever, he has made you king over them so you can rule with justice and righteousness. 
Then she gave the king a gift of 9,000 pounds of gold, great quantity of spices and precious jewels. Never before had there been spices as fine as those the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. In addition, the crews of Hiram and Solomon brought gold from Ophir, and they also brought red sandalwood and precious jewels. The king used the sandalwood to make steps for the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and to construct lyres and harps for the musicians. Never before had such beautiful things been seen in Judah. King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba whatever she asked for, gifts of greater value than the gifts she had given him. Then she and all her attendants returned to their own land. Each year Solomon received about 25 tons of gold. This did not include the additional revenue he received from merchants and traders. All the kings of Arabia and the governors of the provinces also brought gold and silver to Solomon. King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold, each weighing more than 15 pounds. He also made 300 smaller shields of hammered gold, each weighing more than 7.5 pounds. The king placed these shields in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. Then the king made a huge throne, decorated with ivory and overlaid with pure gold. The throne had six steps with a footstool of gold. There were armrests on both sides of the seat, and the figure of a lion stood on each side of the throne. There were also twelve other lions, one standing on each end of the six steps. No other throne in all the world could be compared to it. All of King Solomon's drinking cups were solid gold, as were all the utensils in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. They were not made of silver, for silver was considered worthless in Solomon's day. Just let that verse sink in. You want to know how rich Solomon was? They were not made of silver. Talking about his silverware. For silver was considered worthless in Solomon's day. Verse 21. The king had a fleet of trading ships of Tarshish manned by the sellers sent by Hiram. Once every three years the ships returned loaded with gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. So King Solomon became richer and wiser than any other king on earth. Kings from every nation came to consult him and to hear the wisdom God had given him. Year after year, everyone who had visited brought him gifts of silver and gold, clothing, weapons, spices, horses, and mules. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for his horses and chariots, and he had 12,000 horses. He stationed some of them in the chariot cities and some near him in Jerusalem. He ruled over all the kings from the Euphrates River in the north to the land of the Philistines and the border of Egypt in the south. The king made silver as plentiful in Jerusalem as stone, and valuable cedar timber was as common as the sycamore fig trees that grow in the foothills of Judah. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and many other countries. The rest of the events of Solomon's reign from beginning to end are recorded in the record of Nathan the prophet and the prophecy of Ahijah from Shiloh and also in the vision of Idio the seer concerning Jeroboam son of Nebat. Solomon ruled in Jerusalem over all Israel for 40 years. When he had died, he was buried in the city of David, named for his father. Then his son Rehoboam became the next king. That concludes chapter 9, moving into chapter 10, verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all Israel had gathered to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he returned from Egypt, for he had fled to Egypt to escape from King Solomon. The leaders of Israel summoned him, and Jeroboam and all Israel went to speak with Rehoboam. Your father was a hard master, they said. Lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us. Then we will be your loyal subjects. Rehoboam replied, Come back in three days for my answer. So the people went away. 
Then King Rehoboam discussed the matter with the older men who had counseled his father Solomon. What is your advice, he asked. How should I answer these people? The older counselors replied, If you are good to these people and do your best to please them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men, older men and instead asked the opinion of the young men who had grown up with him and were now his advisors. What's your advice, he asked them. How should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? The young men replied, This is what you should tell those complainers who want a light burden. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I am going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to hear Rehoboam's decision, just as the king had ordered. But Rehoboam spoke harshly to them, for he rejected the advice of the older counselors and followed the counsel of his young advisors. He told the people, My father laid heavy burdens on you, but I am going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. So the king paid no attention to the people. This turn of events was the will of God, for it fulfilled the Lord's message to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through the prophet Ahaziah from Shiloh. When all Israel realized that the king had refused to listen to him, they responded, Down with the dynasty of David. We have no interest in the son of Jesse. Back to your houses, O Israel. Look out for your own house, O David. So all the people of Israel returned home. But Rehoboam continued to rule over the Israelites who lived in the towns of Judah. King Rehoboam set Adoniram, who was in charge of the forced labor, to restore order, but the people of Israel stoned him to death. When this news reached King Rehoboam, he quickly jumped into his chariot and fled to Jerusalem. And to this day, the northern tribes of Israel have refused to be ruled by a descendant of David. That concludes the Old Testament reading. Moving into the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. Romans 8, verse 9. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life. And because you have been made right with God, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that day in the future when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will... All creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For 
We long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't have yet, we must wait patiently and confidently. This concludes our New Testament reading. And I've not really added much commentary in the book of Romans because it's just so clear and rich uh, that I just want to let it speak for itself. But we get the whole gospel here really even in, in just this chapter alone. There's the present nature of the gospel and then there's the past nature and the future nature. So the past, and by that I mean it's already finished, it's completed, is of course the fact that Jesus came, he died for your sins, justified. So if you have your trust in Jesus, you believe in him, it's not like you can sin so bad that you lose God's love. No, it's been sealed in the blood of Christ. The present nature, kind of what Paul is pointing to here, is we're in the already but not yet. It's not quite like Jesus has come back and restored us completely. We still struggle with sin and sickness and death because sin is in the world around us. And yet, there should be in the life of a Christian an increasing power over that sin as the Holy Spirit takes more and more residence in your life. So we're becoming more like Christ right now. We would call this sanctification. And then finally, uh, it points to the future in which Jesus comes back, and he comes back as a king, and he restores the world, and he restores us. Paul says we groan for that day. There's something in us that's just not right. The body doesn't work the way the body is supposed to work. The world doesn't work the way the world is supposed to work. And one day Jesus is going to come, and he's going to set all that right. This is the gospel we see in Romans. Moving on to our Proverbs of the day. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 26. Children who mistreat their father or chase away their mother are an embarrassment and a public disgrace. Well, tell us how you really feel, Proverbs. <laughs> Moving on to our Psalm of the day. We will continue in Psalm 18, reading verses 16 through 36. And I will read the whole thing in a posture of prayer. I would encourage you to pause me along the way or pray at the end yourself. Psalm chapter 18, verse 16. He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me at a moment when I was in distress, but the Lord supported me. He has led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because he delights in me. The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He restored me because of my innocence. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not turned from God to follow evil. I have followed all his regulations. I have never abandoned his decrees. I am blameless before God. I have kept myself from sin. The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He has seen my innocence. To the faithful you show yourself faithful. To those with integrity you show integrity. To the pure you show yourself pure. But to the crooked you show yourself shrewd. And you rescue the humble. But you humiliate the proud. You light a lamp for me. The Lord my God lights up my darkness. In your strength I can crush an army. With my God I can scale any wall. God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. For who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock? God arms me with strength, and he makes my way perfect. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. He trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. You have given me your shield of victory. Your right hand supports me. Your help has made me great. You have made a wide path for my feet to keep them from slipping. Lord, thank you for your goodness. And especially as I read the book of Romans today, I'm reminded of your goodness in the gospel and what you did 
through Jesus for me. Thank you, Lord. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me for today's reading. I hope to see you back here tomorrow as we continue our journey reading through the Bible together.